Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Episode 151 coming at you, and we've been waiting a while to get this one out. Uh, I had an opportunity back when I went to the last uh, Buggerama. There was the Red Barn Swap Meet that I went out to, and I got a chance to meet Lind out of Boise, Idaho. He's one of the big bus collectors. He's got a pretty decent collection of original buses. Uh, he likes the unrestored type thing. He he rocks a 50, 1950 sued funk panel that maybe you guys have seen. He writes the column for Transporter Talk in Hot VW's magazine. Got a real interesting story and a cool selection of buses. So it's a great bus podcast this week. So if you like buses, you're going to like the podcast. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing some more podcasts with Lynn because uh, we got lots of bus breakdowns to do. Shout outs for this week. Squareback Matt SF says great topics and guests. Lots of interesting guests and the interviews get better and better. So hopefully that's what we're doing for you guys because that's what we uh, that's what our goal is to Bring you guys some good content to listen to and get to know some of the people in the VW scene a little bit closer. So this podcast is brought to you by Ross Wolf, purveyors of speed and style for vintage air-cooled Volkswagen. So uh, don't forget to check out their website at rosswolf.com. They make a bunch of really high-quality accessories for your VW from velocity stacks that fit all the way down to your uh, 34 Webers all the way up to 48 IDAs, the internal screens, They've got the uh, some pretty rad anodized pulleys. The pulleys are designed that they fit the belt completely inside the pulley so there's no slip and you have a full continental belt that comes with it that fits inside the pulley. Uh, they've, got, they've really done a, a lot of cutting-edge technology that's overlooked in the VW scene today. Sometimes people just make a pulley and slap it together. But the guys at Ross Wolf have really taken the time to engineer and design the parts so that they fit and work well. Uh, you know, their their commitment to making sure that they're delivering a higher quality product for the VW enthusiast is clearly evident in the products they're producing. Uh, just recently, they came out with their their uh, crank pulley gland nut that's brooched for a three eight socket on the front, and it's also got roll cut threads in it. So it's a uh, definitely a pulley bolt, a crankshaft pulley bolt to behold. It's uh, all high quality stuff. They've got the upper pulley now, the aluminum upper pulley with the large gland nut on it. So definitely uh, check out their website at rosswolf.com and pick up some fresh VW gear. If you guys happen to be out the Florida Bug Jam, you know you saw them out there uh, with some of the uh, some of their parts on display so the guys with ross wolf making a big difference if you're into uh quality speed innovation man ross wolf is your guys this podcast is also brought to you by vw trends magazine back on the scene after a vw trends magazine a magazine for the people by the people get your latest copy today and sign up for your subscription at vwtrendsmagazine.com You'll really enjoy the variety of features that they have and the different pace that VW Trends has always had in the VW scene, covering what's new, the latest trends in the VW scene. So go to VWTrendsMagazine.com and subscribe today. Well, without any further ado, guys, let's get into it this week with Lynn Bjornsson, transporter talk, columnist, VW bus enthusiast, and all-around old-school bus collector on this week's Let's Talk Dubs. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. The 1974 
Hey everybody, on today's show, I've got a special guest that I've uh, been trying to get on the podcast for a little bit. I uh, wanted to do a real kind of detailed bus one that we're going to be coming up with in the future, but this episode is going to be our Get to Know You episode. And on today's show, I've got Lynn Bjornsson, and Lynn is out of Boise, Idaho. He's a bus collector. He's also the Hot VW's Transporter Talk columnist and uh, all-around good bus guy. Lind has been in the VW scene for quite a bit and I'm been excited to get him on the podcast so that we can kind of go over his story and what's going on. Lind, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. So, you know, the way we always start the podcast the same way, what's your VW story and how did you get into Volkswagens? Uh, I first, Got interested in VWs uh, right after high school. Uh, I, when I was in high school, uh, the guy who lived across the street from me uh, had a 23 window bus, uh, which was locally kind of a famous bus that always parked on the street. He basically never drove it, uh, but everybody knew about it. And uh, then, uh, uh, after high school, I I saw a 21-window bus uh, in the alley uh, a couple blocks from my house. And it, it was the alley I had to walk to, through to get to the convenience store, so I'd see it kind of every day. Uh, and it just it, it looked so different than any other car. And I uh, and just really liked it and... And uh, started, you know, reading about them and finding out about them. And, and like, six months later, that very bus came up for sale, and I bought it, and it was my first car. So what year was this? Oh, uh, 66. What, what year did you get interested in Volkswagens? Oh, uh, I became interested in it in 91, basically, probably 30 years ago from today uh and uh then i bought it in early 92 i mean the bus scene was pretty different back then there wasn't you know i was born in the cow look scene but uh the bus scene was was quite a bit different than like the street scene back in those days you know it wasn't like it is today yeah and and actually at that point most buses weren't owned by VW enthusiasts. They were owned by people that drove them as their transportation. This is why I end up getting into Volkswagens. Now you see a bus in its stock form and it really hits your numbers. Like you see this thing and you're like, wow, that's what I want. Oh, totally. It was like, like, yeah, I can drive it anywhere. I can go follow the Grateful Dad and, and it's just cool. You know. So now this is, is this in Boise where you find this first bus? Yes. Yes. And so this first bus that you pick up, the 66, what it's, it's all stock. What kind of conditions it in overall? And would you pay for it? Uh, it was for the time it was kind of beat up. Uh, but, uh, it, by today's standards, it was, uh, actually fairly good condition. Uh, but uh, you know, it was missing the rear bumper, and and 
oh, the, the sunroof assembly was gone and somebody had built kind of a greenhouse roof over the top. Uh, which was a, just, a greenhouse, huh? Yeah, which is just like horrible. I mean, it was like, like made it incredibly hot. I, that was one of the first things I did was go out and take that off and, and buy a sunroof assembly. And, so and now when they made it, I'm, I'm just curious when they made the greenhouse roof, like they actually took part of a plastic greenhouse and kind of and kind of screwed it to the roof. Yeah, there there's like a wooden frame and like plexiglass, and, and it's it's fairly well done for what it was. But it, what it was was awful. <laughs> You're not kidding. And so you get this bus. It's not complete. It's not obviously not restored. And you start to go. How long do you drive it before you decide, like, I'm going to restore this dude and, and get her where get her where she needs to be? Uh, I drove it for about a year. And, oh, and I, I bought the thing for $800 uh, running it drive. Uh, yeah. Uh, which was like huge money for a bus, uh, especially in that condition at that time. Uh, like it, bay windows were worth more than split window buses in the early nineties, uh, because they were they were newer and nicer, you know. And then you get this bus, you cruise it for about a year, and then you decide you're going to start restoring it. Because I don't even know if there was a lot of there wasn't a lot of aftermarket or restoration bus parts available back then, were there? Uh, there was actually quite a bit of stuff. Like I got a catalog of uh, vintage parts was the part supplier at the time. Uh, and they like, actually in the catalog, there was quite a few NOS parts that were available. Uh, yeah, that's right. There, there were a lot. I do remember, I personally remember going like the 89 Jamboree in the nineties and you'd see like NOS bus metal, you know, especially like single cab corners and stuff like that and they were like that's crazy those are four hundred dollars or three hundred bucks you know it was like but there was a lot seemed to be a lot of nos bus stuff back in the day yeah it it was weird stuff was more available like like literally every junkyard i went to had a, a split window bus in it uh and there were lots of them that were out behind just general auto shops that were being used as sheds and stuff. And so with this bus, as you start to do the restoration, like what gets you going down the path? Like where you get so into, cause sometimes people are just into like, you know, you see somebody that they have a 66 bus and they all they care about is a 66 bus. They're really not into earlier models or different models. What started triggering you down that that road where you started really seeking out, like you realized, you realized your bus and then you realized getting your bus back to your original and then started to go down the path of like early buses or were you just content with your 66 at the time? Well, uh, I'm kind of a collector. And so like it, immediately when I got it, I started noticing other ones and, and I'm noticing like every bus around town that I can find and uh, a guy that I worked with told me about an uh, auto shop that was a couple towns over and literally the first time I go out there to go parts hunting to get parts for my boss uh, I find a 55 barn door panel and then buy it for $300 and, 
and uh, to this day, that's the only barn door that I've ever found out in the field. It was like the first time I go hunting, and that's it. You know. And so, you know, so now you're six six. You drag on this barn door, and are you? How are you getting information on on the buses? I mean, is there is there plenty of information out there, or it's like Soto time and Octo time and getting the newsletters and stuff like that? Because even the magazines, you really you, they really wouldn't go deep into bus details. You know what I mean? On a lot of the hot VWs and VW trends. Yeah, I uh, I get uh, hot VWs, and the first thing I'd always open up and go straight to the transporter talk column. You know, because I want to know about buses and. Uh, Dave Hurd was doing it at that point. And, and then uh, I immediately joined Soto because uh, that, was, that was it for bus clubs at that point. Uh, and, and then I'd actually, I went to the library and looked at, they had some automotive books. And one of the books there had a picture of a, Really early boss, a no rear window boss, you know, a 50 or early 51. And I looked out and I was like, this is just so different. And and years later, I went back to the library to try and find that book and and look at it again. And, and the book was gone. So they were like, so Lynn Bjornson checked it out in 92 and never brought it back. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to still have it. <laughs> as you get into, as you're getting into your hobby, and you start to collect information, how bad does it get? I mean, obviously um, we're talking right now and you're in your office and there's literally a library of VW content that's in there. Um, what's the first thing that you start to see? I mean, you get the barn door. Do you realize how rare the barn door is when you get it or it's just a bus at this time to you? Um, I knew what it was and uh, I, uh, I start looking around and trying to find information and trying to to get it going and at this point i kind of realize i'm like way over my head uh because i have just the the most basic knowledge on these and, and the barn door had been off the road for a decade at that point and so uh then i find another boss in the, the newspaper uh, in Boise. And this is uh, like a year later. This is 1993. And it's a, uh, a mango boss that a local guy had had uh, a mechanic rebuild it mechanically. And he really did a good job on a, a nice original car. And then the guy... Uh, went up to college with the boss and uh, met the girl of his dreams and uh, then goes and asks uh, the girl's dad if he can marry her. And uh, the dad says, uh, if you want to marry my daughter, you've got to get rid of the VW boss. And, yeah. <laughs> so he puts it up for sale and, and I buy it for $2,500. And this is a restored bus. <laughs> Uh, it's a mechanically restored uh, bus, but it's original paint. Uh, yeah, it's a nice car. Uh, and and so I get that, and it's just, it's a mile above the 21 window and the barn door. And so I sell both of those 
bosses, uh, and then just keep the mango boss at that point. So now you've now you've got the mango, and that's what year's the mango? It's a sixty-one. A sixty-one mango, and now I mean, when you get when you've got the barn door and you've got the sixty-six, just looking at the barn door, everything's so different on a barn door. Like I mean, from the suspension to the the trans and all that stuff. As you're seeing that and you're selling the barn door, do you get any like, because it's so rare? I mean, you're still you're still to today's standard. I'm sure you undersold it, but did you start to know the values of them, or did and did they go to other bus people in the bus scene? Yeah, uh, I I ended up selling the barn door to uh, Dave Hurd, uh, and then the the 21 window I sold locally. Uh, to a guy and uh, I, I sold it for like $1,400. So I, I made, you know, a, a decent amount of money, like 600 bucks on it. And that was after I'd driven it for a year. <laughs> and so you got, now you've got, now you've got the, the Mango 61 and I'm assuming it's just a, a standard combi. Oh, it's a standard micro bus. Okay. And did you, did you have any, and so that's one of the things, okay, so we'll talk a little bit about that. What are some of the popular misconceptions that people, and some of the terminology that people misuse? Like I called it a combi, which a combi would be stripped interior, no seats. So, yeah, that's the, the, uh, the basic models, you know, you have your panel van with no windows at all, and then a combi, a lot of people described as a panel van with windows. It's uh, got a single-tone paint job. Uh, most combis delivered to the U.S. had full seating, the middle and rear seat. But that's it. They don't have any headliner, no interior panels other than in the cab. Uh, and then the standard microbus, which is what the Mango is, it's, it's still an 11 window, like a combi. It has a two-tone paint job, uh, has a headliner, full interior, uh, floor mat in the back. Uh, it's just a little nicer of a bus. Now, so bringing that up, would combis be more rare than uh, than like a, a – I'm wanting to call it deluxe, but it's not It's not a deluxe. It's a it's, – it's a, I don't know why I'm having brain fade right now. What do, what do we just a call standard, it? Standard? It's a standard. <laughs> but it's not really called a standard, though, right? I mean, it's it's a micro bus. Well, uh, a micro bus come in. Is that from Volkswagen or is that what is, is that what people are calling it? Yeah. Uh, Volkswagen originally called it a micro bus. Uh, and when they introduced it in 1950, it, it was the top of the line bus. Uh, then in 51, they introduced the deluxe micro bus uh, with the 23 windows. And and so then the the other micro bus just became the standard micro bus. Right. As far as production wise, would there be would it be more rare, it would be more rare to find a combi essentially than it would be to find a, a standard micro bus. Yeah, I would say there's easily twice as many standard micro buses as combis. Yeah, because combis were maybe more utilitarian, right? Like bought for people that maybe use it for business, but also might have needed to move people too. 
yeah, they actually advertised them as that, like in the, the sales brochure, it, uh, one that I just got recently, it, it has a fold over page. So the, when you look at the page, there's a, a workman, you know, getting some stuff out of it. Then you fold open the page and then there's his wife and kids with getting in the middle seat. Mm -hmm. Back to some of the terminology that's commonly misused around in, in the general VW population. So combi, to refer to your bus as a combi is not really accurate if it's not really a combi. The micro bus is more the 11 window buses that were interior finished buses. And then the deluxe. Now, where does, where does the Samba come in at? Uh, Samba is just another term for a deluxe. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it, and we haven't been able to really pin down where what it's a reference to, but it seems to have come from Germany, and that's just they they called the and that's for a full window boss uh, with it. You know, yeah. 23 or 21 because there's also deluxes with the hard top that are either the 15 or the 13 window. Yeah. And I, and I have a, I have a 13 window, which sacrilegiously, I just swapped the roof out on it. My brother was like, I can't believe you did that. And I said, well, I always wanted a 21 window and why remake mine out? They make the, the reproduction roof so nice, you know? And so uh, the bull run bus is now will future be a 21 window. So it's in theory still a deluxe, and I just decided to put the sunroof option on it myself. <laughs> it, it's just a little more deluxe. That's, now. Right. That's right. Now I wonder, in regards to production numbers and scarcity and rarity, um, what is the hierarchy in regards to like? Because I'm sure there's differences because of the popularity of the bus between early and late models, right? And we're going to say early and late is going to be like 63, 63 and later they go. Um, they go to the 64, they go to the big back window, right? 64. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 64 model year is when they went to the large hatch. So, I mean, technically, there. let's say just in the splits alone, there might, you, some bus aficionados might say there's three or four levels of buses, right? You've got your barn doors. And then you've got your, after your barn doors, you have your, what are they, the, you have the Wolfsburg and the Hanover buses, right? Yeah, so uh, barn doors and up to early 56 were all built in Wolfsburg. And uh, they were built in the Beetle factory. Uh, and then in mid-56, they went to the bus factory. Uh, and, and so the kind of generation-wise... Uh, the, the barn doors are the, the first generation and body style. Then uh, the difference between a Wolfsburg and an early Hanover bus is just full-on nerd stuff. Uh, I mean, you have to, to really be getting in the weeds to tell the difference. Uh, most people looking at the outside would not be able to tell at all. Uh, so the... The early uh, post-barn doors all the way up through 58 look essentially the same. Uh, of course, some people will, might get after me because the bubble taillights, brake light, 
versus dollar taillights, but really they all look pretty much the same. The, then, uh, you know, 59 through 61 uh, still have the the early taillights and turn signals, uh, but they have a, a new batch of colors and, and some bigger bumpers. Uh, then 62 and 3, the turn signals get even bigger. And then 64 through 7, uh, the, the whole body style changes. And, and what's funny is there's so many different intricacies. Let's say, for example, which drives a lot of my listeners a little crazy because I always bring up one of my cars. But I have in my 67 bus, it's a it's a late 67 that has a mid-year uh, cargo door handle. It's got the, I think it's the the L the L cargo door handle. So it's like this $400 car, freaking cargo door handle that, you know, is super expensive because it's only for like six months or something crazy like that. Um, but it's it's funny how as, the, as a hobby, we look at the hobby and split it up into so many sub-segments. Sub and I think it's, it's one of those, uh, it reminds me of like land speed racing, right? Like everybody goes land speed racing. And the one guy says, well, I'm the first Volkswagen with an antenna that ran that fast. Or I'm, a, I'm the first Volkswagen. <laughs> like everybody wants to, wants to have their own individuality in this ocean of things that to the general public all look the same, you know? But I, I think it's always unique. And, and it's interesting that, you know, as much as, as the cars get safer, the enthusiasts like them less. So the more, the bigger the windows got, the bigger the taillights got. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, you know, that's, that's more new style stuff. But I always find it really interesting how we seek like the early ones, you know, the, the earlier, the better. And then what can differentiate our panel bus from someone else's or our, you know, micro bus from someone else's. And, and it, I mean, it even gets to the point where people are like, well, here's my, my, my palm green, sand green, you know, and that's such like an inside click, you know, terminology, which is just, it's, it's, it's kind of humorous to me, but let's talk about that for a second. Like palm green, sand green. Why do people get so excited over a palm green, sand green versus, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get the, the differentiation on the paint colors. Like what is so exciting about, that versus something else i don't know i'm you know and i'm coming to you because i'm a late model guy i'm a 67 guy so uh yeah well it like say a, a palm green sand green you're talking a 55 through 58 for the most part you know so it's it's going to be a press bumper uh standard micro bus for the most part there's also palm green sand green westphalias uh, oh, they did two tones so with that now, Westfellas were typically made out of panels, right? Uh, no, they were uh, uh, primarily built out of combis, although pretty much every model except for trucks have been converted into Westfalias at the Westfalia factory. And so, touching on Westfalias a little bit, in the early production, was Westfalia an option where you would buy it through Westfalia or you'd buy it through Volkswagen and then send it to Westfalia? Uh, from day one for Westphalia campers, the, the first one, uh, a British Army officer uh, took an early barn door there and, and had them outfit it with camping equipment. And uh, shortly thereafter, they started doing conversions for Volkswagen. And, the, and really early on, uh, they were promoting 
the hell out of them. There's uh, a couple early models that that were obviously promotional vehicles, uh, and, you know, in conjunction with VW, uh, and then, but then from there all the way through production, uh, they were the factory camper. They're they're a coach builder, you know, which is an outside company that that does body work and, and conversion work, but they were sold through the dealer network. Uh, but also anybody could take their bus to Westphalia and they were happy to convert it privately for people. Now, did Westphalia keep track of buses and VIN numbers and stuff like that? Or who kept track of that database? Or does that make part of the mystery really hard? No, they did not keep any records. Uh, and uh, when I toured the Westphalia factory in 2003, uh, there was nobody working there who had been there for more than 20 years. Oh, interesting. So, and Westphalia still to this day outfits all kinds of vehicles, not just Volkswagens, but they do other stuff or is just primarily Volkswagens? Uh, they're actually owned by Mercedes now, and so they do all kinds of cars that aren't Volkswagens. So, but their so their whole angle is like camping, outfitting, whatever it's going to be. So, in theory, somebody could really fake an early Westphalia if they wanted to. Like, if somebody if somebody's plot was sinister to try to get a lot of money, it's difficult to prove unless you've got some documentation. And if you're going back that early unless you've got a receipt from Wolfsburg, or not from Wolfsburg, but from Westphalia, I mean, it's going to be suspect that it's early, because I think the early ones, they're quite rare. Yeah, the, yeah, the early ones are fairly rare, uh, or fairly uncommon, I should say, and certain slices of them are rare, uh, depending, because the, the word rare is, is very overused. Uh, and and uh, everybody has a different definition of what rare is. Uh, but generally, it's pretty hard to fake one. Uh, it, in the early years, uh, production-wise, if you get the birth certificate on it, there are certain things and certain ways that they were ordered. And then at, uh, when you go up further there are just definite things that the way they were ordered, the M codes on them, you can tell uh, that they were original Westphalias. Now, touching back on some of the some of the microbus paint combos, because we talked about palm green, sand green, that everybody that owns one apparently is super proud of them. What other colors did the microbuses come in in those same years? What color options were there? And is palm green, sand green that rare? Because it seems like there's a ton of them out there. Um, they're not rare, uh, but there are rare ones, uh, if you want to get into the weeds and... Yeah, just out, just out of curiosity, what would, what would make, well, what were the paint, co I mean, for deluxes, how many paint, or, or microbuses, how many different paint options did they have in that, in that era, from what you say it was 50, 55 to 57? Yeah, uh, uh, mid-55 through 58 model year, palm green, sand green was the the standard color if you were getting a standard. Uh, that, that was it. Unless you ordered special paint, 
then you could get a different color. Uh, but those are are really rare. Oh, really? Like so, so 57 or fit, mid 55 to 58, those buses that are that are actual standard buses are palm green, sand green for the most part. And if you've got a, if you've got a factory color different than that, it's a rare bird. Yeah, I can count on one hand the uh, 55 through 58 standard microbuses that are not palm green, sand green, and have fingers left over. And and what what were the colors that were optioned at the time? Was it a paint to paint to choice, or was it uh, was specific colors that they had available? Theoretically, uh, they would paint it any color you want, but the the ones that I've seen are either postal yellow or fire truck red. Oh, really? Yeah. And there are passenger buses there. There are micro yeah. buses. Yeah. Huh? Wow. It, and then the interesting thing on those, like a palm green sand green bus has a two tone green interior, and the seats are a single tone green. Uh, but then on those special paint ones, the interior is two-tone brown with brown seats like you would see in a deluxe bus from that time period. So there wasn't a lot. Really, it was like we offer the bus. It's this bus, this color. That was kind of the dealerships thing. Like, yeah, we've got four of these. You can buy them if you like them, and this is kind of the way they are, right? I mean, they came mostly that way unless you special ordered it. Yeah, exactly. And then, But then... There's, and that's up through mid-1961. Then uh, in mid-61, they introduced a couple more colors. Uh, and then then there were three color choices at that point. And in 61, what are the color choices? So, it, well, in 59, they went to, to mango green and seagull gray. And palm green, sand green was not available as a standard color at that point but then just to throw an extra oh, weird thing in a bus popped up a couple years ago that's a 1962 that's palm green sand green original paint it's got the special paint code on the m code plate it's absolutely you know factory palm green sand green yeah and and then also there's some palm green sand green westphalias from uh 61 too but uh but for those ones they reversed the colors and they put the dark color on the bottom and the light color on top which is what they started doing in the later 60s now yeah in 59 was when they they went to mango green and seagull gray in in 59 and then through mid 61 that was your one color choice then in mid 61 they started with uh, mouse gray with pearl white on top or turkish green with blue white on top and and uh and then also they, they got rid of mango and seagull at that point and then they also had ceiling wax red with beige gray on top i think that i think i like the ceiling wax red with the beige gray on the top i'm, I'm a fan of that now in when it comes to the early the early deluxes the early 23 windows all the ones that I see, so I'm assuming there was one paint color, which was the which was ceiling wax and chestnut. Is that correct, or is there were there options to the others? So yeah, through 19 from 51 through 58, it was chestnut and ceiling wax. Although 
in 51, they, they made a few hundred deluxes in 51, and those ones had a white roof, but it was still the chestnut and sealing wax. And a, like a separate white, like at the, at, the, at the rain gutter, the roof itself is white. Yes. Watch well, like a three-tone, huh? Yeah. And how many of those, how many of those exist today? Um, there's a, a handful of them. Uh, I mean, that's going to be I, a super rare find because you're obviously it's a 50, it's a 51 you said? Yeah. And that's like for the, the barn door nuts, that's the absolute top of the world, you know, is a 51 deluxe. That's incredible. I, I, and I didn't even know this because I just knew that, you know, just, and for me, it's just from going, because I'm more of a custom guy, I appreciate the stock stuff. And I remember, you know, I, I, I can appreciate it. I just look at it and go, man, it needs to be lowered a little bit and it needs a big giant motor in the back because, because you know, uh, with my buddy, we were up in Northern California and we were cruising around for the Sacramento bug, uh, bug around a weekend a few years ago. And uh, my buddy, uh, um, Eric Heinrich had his, he's got a 50, 53 barn door, the Jesse James old barn door. And, uh, and we were driving around and I was in my bus and it was like painful to start, try to wait for him on the freeway. It was just so, so brutal with that 25, I think, were they a 25 horse motor in those things? Um, his, it's a 54, you're talking about his deluxe bus, correct? Okay. Yeah, it's a 54 and, and those had a 36 horse in them uh, by 54. But yeah, I mean, it's like those things, I mean, top speed on that bus is what, 50, 55 miles an hour? Pretty much. The, they are slow as hell. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I have a split window also, and I drove my split window uh, when it was stock. I got it from it, from Michigan, and it was like a, a bad restoration. It was exported, imported here in 79, and it was from Michigan. So I learned that purchase, never ask a guy from Michigan how much rust is on it, because they don't have the same level of acceptable rust as we do in Las Vegas. And I was driving it to a car meet one night and I thought, oh, I'll take the split window. And it was like painful because it had the, the split case trans. So I, the transmission was super loud. And then I remember downshifting to get onto the freeway because I, you know, it's 25 horse and I was dying. I was like, this is how do people drive these things back then? So uh, I love the look. I just, the, the slow, <laughs> the slow performance. But I, I guess it's just where you're at, right? Like, if you enjoy the simplicity of it, it's kind of nice just to be in it and just put along and kind of time capsule the thing, you know? Yeah, for me, it's, you know, I appreciate different cars at different levels. Like, I had a 57 Palm Green Sand Green standard that I drove all the way across the country, totally stock with a 36-horse engine. And it was great. But then, you know... These days, you had to clear your schedule for a month. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. How many miles a day are you getting in that thing? I mean, if you're if you're averaging like 50, 55 miles an hour, if you're lucky, you're you're. I mean, a, a eight hour day, you're gonna get you know not a not a bunch of mileage out of the thing, right? Oh yeah, it it took a long time, and especially because. We didn't drive like straight across the country. We were going up and down and back and forth and, and visiting people. Uh, it, was uh, it was all original. 
And how did it fare on the long road trip as far as repairs and reliability and all that kind of stuff? Well, it, it ran great on nothing broke down uh, on the whole trip. That's a, that's pretty impressive. It, it's impressive, but it's not, right? Because VW is known for their reliability, like sewing machine reliability. They just run forever. I mean, they're, they're incredible from their reliability, but I think what happens is you take it to that oddball mechanic who just doesn't do one simple thing right, and it all starts to unravel from there, you know? Yeah, and, and part of it's you, you got to feel your car, and, you, and you, you make it work right to begin with, and then if if something isn't going right, then you, you pay attention to it, and, you know, it's, you're, you come to a hill, and you're going to go into third gear on that hill in, in any kind of stock bus, uh, so... It's like, do you want to go into third gear on your terms or its terms? And, and the difference is a couple hundred yards, but if you just want to mash it down and, and you know, ride it like you're whipping a donkey, then it's probably going to fail you at some If you just go easy with it and, and drop it into third and pot up the hill, you'll be fine. So... Getting back into to some of the buses, you know, in regards to, so we have, what were we talking about? We're talking about like four levels of buses, right? Like barn doors and then early buses up to 57, 57, 58, and then from 58 to 63 or 64, 63 and then 64, 64 and up, or was it 58 to 62? Um, 59 through 63 are like, small hatch you know with the later bumpers on and you can slice it up a little more but they're they're fairly similar in that time period and color wise also now and now since i've got the expert here i'm gonna start asking some of these questions so in respect to options did vw keep track of options or you can only get that through your birth certificate uh, so in uh, early 59, the, they started putting the M-code plate on buses, and that's uh, behind the, the front seat on the passenger side. And that has uh, some options stamped into it. Uh, and when, when I first started getting into buses uh, in the early 90s, like I, I'm finding these plates, and they... And it has some numbers. I'm trying to figure out what it is. And, and there's nothing that published saying, you know, you can decode this this way. But uh, we were able to figure out just by deduction what a bunch of it was. Like there's in the lower right-hand corner, there's the VIN number. And, and then there's the origin and, yeah. You know, you know, most of them in any given area were going to be the same. Like in my area, they would P would be the, the letters. And uh, the U, uh, that's the United States, and the, the P was Portland, which was Riviera Motors, uh, and that's the distributor. number. And the, and the model number, we, we knew what model numbers were. There's other three-digit codes. And so we got to start figuring out 
what they are. And, and I got a notebook and I started writing them all down and comparing, you know, this, this car has, or, you know, this model has these options and, and we'd figure them out actually by process of elimination for some of them. Some of them uh, we had to figure out later by other means. Yeah, because by the time I by the time I got my bus, I, I think I bought. I mean, I owned a couple of buses before in '96. I owned a I owned a double cab. Uh, '93, I owned a 11 window, and then I got out of the scene for a little bit. When I got back in, is when I bought my my 13 window deluxe, and I picked that one up. Um, shoot, I found the craziest part is I found it in Goldfield, Nevada, and the tags expired on it in 1976. So by the time it got parked in the desert, it was 11 years old. You know what I mean? Or, or nine, was that nine years old? Yeah. So it's like it's parked in the desert. I'm sure they, they pillaged the motor out of it for a dune buggy or something. And it was 95% complete, original paint, <laughs> fairly straight, no rust. Um, and uh, I bought it for $100. So um, I remember finding it when I found it in 92 and I was, I was just, it was a dream for me back. Like, man, if I only had a way to, to bring that thing back from 150 miles from Las Vegas. And then later I, I bought it in 2000 uh, when I was driving through there with my wife and, and I wanted to get the bus. But, you know, when you find some of these things in there, you know, it's interesting because these things all have these crazy stories where they're purchased for, you know, uh, a family and then somehow they end up in the middle of Goldfield, Nevada getting pillaged for an engine or possibly maybe broken down on a road trip through there. But there's so much uniqueness about each bus's individual path. What, what are some of the most interesting things or places that you've come upon a bus where it's like, hey, here's this great bus that should have been used for this, but it ended up over here in this obscure place, you know, just in hiding forever. You know, any any unique stories that you have like that in respect to uh, some of the some of the unique finds or buses that you've ended up with? Um, as far as like weird uses for them, it seems like they they just became sheds. <laughs> you know that they would they would die and and uh and then people just store stuff in them and and the there's i've heard so many stories from people over the years like probably a dozen people have told me stories of they got a bus but they had to buy the person a shed and assemble the shed to get the bus you know and then move all the person's stuff into the shed you know, yeah, you know. yeah, and I think it's you know because they're so they're so bulky and have so much room inside. It's always here in Vegas, especially because of Bajas and dune buggies and all that kind of stuff. When we'd find I, the one trip that I took in '96, or I'm sorry, in '92, when I drove from Vegas, Vegas to Reno to go look at a double cab in Reno with a buddy of mine, I was driving, I was passenger in his car, and. I found in that one trip, I found my 13 window deluxe, which was the velvet, velvet green and white. I found in Shures, Nevada, right at the intersection. If you're coming down to Las Vegas, there's an intersection where Shures, Nevada, right there, there's like a, like a V in the road, right? At the corner of that intersection, at the very end, parked facing outward, was a 
13 window deluxe lotus white over lotus white that my buddy <laughs> my buddy after i got my bus he wanted a bus so i said here's the phone number for this farmer that i stopped and talked to he wants 400 for that bus <laughs> so my buddy went back got that bus but there was so many of these and especially deluxes you know um it, it, i was shocked because in the in the early 90s like deluxes were super rare especially to find them used in somebody's yard or something like that you'd find a lot of the you know a lot of the standard micro buses and stuff like that but deluxes seem to be so rare back then and now as we continue to go into the hobby it's like everything just keeps getting more deluxes and more and more super rare stuff just keeps coming to surface you know i think that you know that's, that's the exciting thing I, th I think about the hobbies because once we get into it we can go down so many different levels with the different vehicles that you can find with the different obscure uh obscure parts now question to you is what are some of the more common things that people believe are really unique, but they're really not that unique? One of the things that's typical where, you know, everybody thinks this is a super rare option, but it really wasn't that rare of an option. Um, well, the uh, double doors on panel vans, uh, I've, I've had plenty of people think that that's the rarest thing ever, but they're you know like maybe 10 20 percent of panel vans were double doors uh yeah it, and then uh i have people just think that buses are rare in general and they're not they're they're actually very common cars i mean they sold a lot of them what was the biggest production year for buses um for i'd have to to look but uh i i think 67 was uh the the most produced but i i'd have to to get in the numbers and or get in the books and look on that and then in respect to buses trucks like let's let's get into like the commercial vehicles a little bit right so the obviously the most the earliest ones are going to be single cabs and then double cabs. They have your, you have your bins, double cabs for mid, what, 57, 58 or just 58? Oh, I pretty much just 58. Uh, there, there was an earlier one that was either a prototype or a customer conversion. There's several pictures of a barn door bins, but it does not exist or is not known to exist anyway. No one's been able to track it down. No, and and uh, and nobody's faked one yet, but it, it it'll happen sooner or later. Right. I mean, that'd be kind of cool, like a barn door barn door bins, right? I mean, you can. I mean, it'd just be something cool to look at if somebody oh, did a really oh, accurate job of it. Oh yeah, and it, it's just a matter of time. I I'm looking forward to it. I I predict here in the next few years we're we're gonna see one. Now, in respect to um, in, in respect to like some of the unique options in the let's just say the mid years right from like 56 to 63 we're just going to group, group them all together is the how rare is the um sunroof option no skylights just the sunroof option on a regular microbus uh that's pretty uncommon uh the they're out there but it's uh i would say one percent or something you you just 
don't see that many of them. Yeah, because you had to not want, and maybe it's a guy who owned a twenty three hundred before. He liked getting sunburned from the windows, but he liked the ragtop. Maybe I mean, who knows? Who knows what you would go through to option that? Because I, I almost wonder: has anybody tracked on a price book of what the options cost? Oh, oh yeah, there's uh, plenty of price lists, and it, it was a couple hundred bucks for the sunroof. Well, what was the difference for the deluxe? Like from the microbus to the deluxe, what was the price difference? Oh, uh, let's see. I, I actually have some price lists around here somewhere. Uh, like a, a micro bus would be like twenty two, twenty three hundred bucks. Uh, a deluxe would be uh, about three grand, I think. Oh, so you're so about about eight hundred bucks more for a deluxe. Yeah, I I think I should. I should find the actual price list, or probably quote. I'm not, not going to hold it to you. We're just having some. We're just having some bus talk. No need to. <laughs> no, need to no need to get too too serious about it. Now, what are you currently currently in your collection? You have your your bus, which was featured in Hot Beatles magazine not long ago, and it's the Sudfunk bus. Sudfunk, yeah. Now tell me the story of the Sudfunk bus. What is the story behind that bus? So. Uh, it, it has a pretty good story, and I've I've tracked it down basically from day one. Uh, originally, it was, as far as I can tell, it was purchased by the, the Sudfunk company, which was a radio manufacturer in Stuttgart, Germany, that made radios like this. Uh, yeah, uh, and bought this little unit off of eBay. Uh, and uh, you found that on eBay, yeah. Did they know what it was when they were? I mean, obviously, whoever sold it knew what it was. Uh, yeah, it's just a, a, a not particularly valuable radio. Uh, yeah, the some of their radios that look cooler are actually valuable, but uh, that one's not. Uh, uh it was. Uh, 40 bucks or something for and what year yeah. is that rate what year is that picnic radio you got uh about 65 or so wow that's nuts so sued funk sued funk was around for quite a while yeah uh they were uh manufacturing radios under their name up through the 60s and then uh they were manufacturing them uh that were tagged with other people's names for a few years after that, and and they got bought out by another company, uh, but but anyway, uh, as far as the bus goes with with that radio or, or with the bus, they uh, uh, in 1964 uh, they sold the bus. And and then, what year is the bus? Let's start. Off. What year is it? It's a okay. So the bus is a 1950, which is the first year that they built buses. Production, uh, retail sale. Yeah. And it's a late 50. Uh, it is built in November, but the production started pretty slow. Uh, and and they really didn't get going in real number uh, production-wise till, till the summer of 50. Uh, so anyway, uh, it's uh, chassis number 5909. Uh, and they built about 8,000 buses in 50. So production-wise, it's about 
three quarters of the way through. Uh, and so then in, in 1964, uh, there was a Porsche dealer uh, from Manhattan Beach, California, uh, who's also a racer uh, by the name of Vashik Pollock. And every he was a uh, Czechoslovakian guy uh, who moved over after the war and uh, worked for Max Hoffman in uh, New York. And, of course, Max Hoffman was the original importer of VWs to the United States. And uh, so Vashik saved up his money working for Max uh, and bought himself a uh, 550 Spider and uh, and then took his bus uh, and loaded up with everything, moved out from New York to California and opened the first standalone Porsche dealership in the United States. Yeah, because uh, I, I know Vasek, uh, uh, Vasek Pollock is uh, a super popular in the Porsche world. Oh, oh yeah, he was the tuner for 550s and, and Carrera engines. Like, uh, when the factory would send their race team to California, they would have him tune their cars. Wow. So that guy, oh. so so that guy knew what he was doing, and and that's the first I've heard of the uh, of the connection to to Max Hoffman. You know, I think that's uh, it's pretty pretty interesting how that comes back to that and how everything begins. So he bought that bus. He bought the your bus, the Sud Funk bus. So so yeah, uh, Vashik would go to Stuttgart every summer. Uh, in the 60s, and visit the Porsche family, visit the Porsche factory, buy some piece of crap bus, and fill it full of parts that he'd buy from the factory, and engines and stuff. And so in 64, he uh, bought a six-cylinder engine, which was quite new for Porsche at that point, and, and then a couple 4KM Carrera engines, and put them all on the bus, and then filled it to the roof with race parts, and and then shipped it back to his dealership uh, in Manhattan Beach. And, you know, he just bought it because it was the cheapest bus that he could find. Uh, and it was a shipping container to him. So did he, have, buy a private, have, he bought a private party? Yeah, so... Uh, he bought it either from Sud Funk Company or maybe from a junkyard or something. At, at the time he bought it, it was running with its original engine. Really? Yeah, the 25-horse. <laughs> which it, I, I can only imagine a 25-horse engine, and it's loaded with a ton, literally a ton of, of stuff. But it had to be slow. But the early buses were technically rated as a three-quarter ton, three-quarter ton bus at the suspension. Yeah, yeah, it, it could handle the weight. It just wasn't going to go fast or uphill. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So he buys it, bring, brings it. So he ships it back to the states in what year? In '64, he said. Yeah, in '64. And then what and, happens and, to it then? So uh, then. Uh, this was really interesting. After uh, we got it running and 
uh, took it down to Octo, um, people started uh, reaching out uh, to me because they saw pictures of it on the internet and stuff. And uh, I found the guy who had unloaded it at Vashik's dealership. Uh, is Yeah, uh, is a, a guy by the name of Ralph Jackson. And uh, really interesting guy. When he was in high school, he would walk by Vashik's dealership and was looking at the cars through the fence and stuff. And Vashik came out and talked to him and, and uh, uh, he could see that he was interested and uh, offered him a job. And uh, he's like, well, what will I be doing? Vashik's like, whatever I tell you to do. <laughs> And one of the things that he told him to do was to unload all the stuff out of this bus that he had just brought from Germany. And so Ralph unloads all the stuff and uh, and then asks Vashik what he's going to do with the bus. And Vashik's like, oh, I'm just going to scrap it out. And, and Ralph's like, well, sell it to me uh, instead. And Vashik's like, okay, $50. And and he sold it to him for fifty bucks and took it out of his paycheck. Wow! And so, how and, long does how long does Ralph own it for? Ralph, you said his name is. Yeah, yeah. Ralph had it for a couple of years, and uh, and he was in high school at the time. And by by the time Ralph graduated from high school, he had owned four three fifty sixes. Uh, yeah, he he was into them. Uh, and. Uh, him and his family just used it as an extra car, as a grocery getter and, and stuff. Uh, and so then uh, he sold it to uh, a mechanic uh, who had a shop uh, there in L.A. Uh, and then he sold it to another guy. And that was uh, both in the 60s. So around 69 or so. Um, uh, a, a guy by the name of Ed Fengler uh, bought it, and he kept it uh, through uh, 1999. And um, yeah, he knew that it was an old bus, uh, and and that that it was one of the oldest ones. Uh, and, and he recognized that it was, you know, just super old. And, uh, and he worked for a number of uh, auto shops, uh, you know, VW shops. And, uh, and he would actually drive it to Pomona and uh, to the swap meet and, and buy and sell parts and stuff. And uh, in the uh, 70s and 80s. And then uh, in the 90s, uh, he ended up selling it to uh, Dick Christensen uh, from Arizona. And, uh, and, and Dick was really ahead of the game. Uh, and he, he's owned so many early cars and recognized, you know, early stuff uh, early on. And, and he just parked it at his place in Arizona until uh from 99 until 2012 when the big barn door gathering happened in uh at octo 
and uh, he got it on the road for that, and uh, they drove it around uh, that weekend, and then sold it to Gene Langan in uh, Connecticut, and then uh, uh, a, a year and a half ago or so, uh, uh, Gene Langan decided to thin out his collection a little bit, and it popped up uh, on the internet, and I just had to make a move and buy it. And now, what's interesting is is no one ever restored the bus. No, it actually it is the oldest known original paint bus. And so, in 1950, that's one in in regards to age of that bus that's in existence today. I mean, I, I guess when you get to the 50s, there's was there a couple dozen or less than that, or I don't know how many are out there that are that are known to be out there. On the registry, uh, there's like 42 1950 buses. That's a lot of buses. Out of 8,000. Um, well, I mean, in perspective, I mean, in perspective to the fact of, I mean, essentially a VW back then was like a Yugo. It was seen as like your economy, disposable, like it would be like you're starting your business, you buy the VW, and then your business gets bigger, you get the Chevrolet two and a half ton pickup with, you know what I mean, like all that kind of stuff, and you don't, you've outgrown the bus. You know what I mean? I, I mean, at least that's my perspective because the buses that I've owned, you know, I bought I bought two buses. One of them was a it, it was an FTD panel. It was a walkthrough fifty seven, I think it was, and uh, it was on the Samba a few years back. And there was a little bit of controversy because I had a whole thing with a friend of mine about it. But I bought that one, and I bought a fifty six panel. That was uh, both these buses I bought for five grand, and I think this is probably like two thousand eight, maybe two thousand seven, and. Um, the the 56 bus that I got had been creamed on the side, but other than that, the motor looked perfect and brand new and all that kind of stuff. And I think what would happen is you'd get in a bad enough accident, people would just pitch these cars to the side. So it, in perspective to like the disposability of the Volkswagen, I think, you know what I mean? Like, the, the, like to some people, it seemed almost like a, like a throwaway vehicle. Oh, oh, oh yeah. And that's, that's what it was. Uh, I mean, it was, Vashik uh, was ready to throw it away. I mean, this was a running, driving bus in 1964, and he was just going to scrap it out because uh, it was worthless even here. Yeah, and with, well, of course, by then, because the bus, because the technology was so old. I mean, you're talking it's it's 14 years old, and they're like, let's just junk this thing, man. It's the, the new ones are so much better. This thing's antiquated. It's like it's the it's the real old model, but What's what I find amazing is that nobody ever tried like it just got used at uh, at, at Sudfunk and then imported to the states and then no one ever bothered like showing it any love, you, which is in hindsight is a great thing, right? Because it still retains its originality versus being painted with house paint or whatever that we've seen done to these buses. I mean, I think it's it's pretty amazing, um, and, and now obviously with it being the oldest. Uh, original bus. So that's like the oldest still original bus. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. It basically dodged bullets its entire life to, to be where it is. Yeah, I think and, your personalized plate should be lucky. 
<laughs> it's amazing how much, I mean, how many hands it went through and no one, did they cut the fender wells out or any of that stuff? No, uh, at, at some point early in its life, uh, uh, sometime after 1955, but well before 64, uh, it uh, got in a wreck and the nose skin was replaced and the driver's door was replaced. Uh, uh, and, uh, and then also the deck lid got replaced at some point. We're not sure when. Uh, but it's it's not a fifty deck lid, uh, but it is original paint. Uh, but other than that, there really wasn't a lot of hacking going on on it, and it it you know like so many other buses, they it stayed original paint because it was never worth putting a paint job on. And so you get this bus. And then now it's in your hands. You're Mr. Original guy, keep it stock kind of guy. And then what? <laughs> what's the first thing you do to this bus? So so I get it. And uh, I, I want to do something a little different. And uh, as a, a kind of a nod to Bashik Pollock, uh, I decided to go with a Porsche theme. And... Uh, uh, my friend uh, Adam Bruno up in Spokane, Washington, uh, put a Porsche 356 motor into his Mango bus uh, a few years back, and uh, and he was kind of pushing me to to put a 356 motor in a bus for a while, and I was you know, I was like, oh, well, you know, those are kind of expensive and and stuff, but it's like this was really the one, and. I decided to, to go out and 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 I really wanted to drive the bus. And while I I do like you know stock stuff and, and I'm not afraid to drive a, a 36 horse bus across the country, uh, I I really wanted to to do something a little different. So uh, it is really a departure for me because. Every other bus that I've had, I built myself, uh, and I do the mechanical work on. But this one, I was like, I'm just gonna have Adam do it. So I just towed it up to his place, uh, and it was a running driving bus when I got it. But all I I drove it off the transport, then onto my trailer, and then off of my trailer. <laughs> it's like like 50 yards was all I drove it in the stock form. Uh, uh, and, and it had a 36 horse engine. The, the original engine was, was long gone. And so I kind of came up with the recipe of how I wanted it suspension wise. And, and I have experience, a lot of experience driving a bus. And so I know what, in general stock form is going to make it perform and so uh we uh the the barn door springs up front uh are stiffer than later bus and i wanted to have a, a softer ride so uh i wanted uh later bus springs up front then transmission wise i wanted a tunnel type transmission but uh so I, I had a, 
a 63 bus tranny that had been rebuilt uh, laying around. And then engine-wise, uh, the of course, the 356, and then also the 356 brakes on it, too. And so I, I took the bus, and it, it's just loaded with parts, and... Uh, and dumped it off on Adam and, and then continued to buy more parts and get them shipped to his place. And, uh, and it was just kind of a off in the future project. I wanted to get everything going, get everything before the project got going. And so, so, uh, then, uh, a, a few weeks before Octo, uh, you know, people knew that I had the boss and stuff, and and uh, a, a friend of mine uh, sends me a text and he asks if I'm uh, taking the bus to Octo, and I'm like, uh, like, yeah, you know, we really haven't done anything with it yet, and and uh, I call up Adam, I was like, you know, can you do it? And it's like, Octo's like two weeks off at this point, and. Uh, Adam's like, like, yeah, I can do it. And so he works for like 12 days straight, like just full days and just knocks it out. And like, uh, about four days before Octo, uh, uh, somebody else, uh, 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 texts me and asks if it's going to Octo. And then I, I didn't lie, but I'm like, you know, the, the bus, the, the front end's out of it, the transmission's out of it, it's completely disassembled right now, you know, and, uh, and then uh, Adam whips it all together, because of course it was right ready for assembly at that point, and gets it running, and uh, uh, takes it on a couple mile test drive, and it works, and he bombs down to Boise and picks me up and, and we drive it down to Octo. Oh, wow. You guys even road tripped it, right? No prep road trip, just right out the door, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was put it all together and take it on a road trip. So that's gotta be, I mean, that's gotta be a great, a great feeling, especially to come out there. And then you come out there with one of the oldest buses that's out there, right? I mean, it's, it's, you're not gonna see a lot of fifties at Octo. Um, the 50s do occasionally show up at Octo, uh, but uh, they don't drive there. It, in fact, this is the the only 50 bus that anybody drives. Uh, other ones, yeah, other ones run, but they run on and off of trailers. They don't like drive on the road. Uh, and so, like, like in the last year. Uh, I've driven the bus like 6,500 miles, which is further than I think every other 50 on the planet has driven over the last decade combined. Well, but they, you know, that's what they're for though. I mean, like what's the point in owning it if you're not going to get at least a couple of your own memories behind the wheel, right? Uh, if, if you have a toy, you should play with it. <laughs> have fun. Yeah, no, I mean... There's no question. I mean, I, I think, especially if you're able to, I mean, I, I always wonder like people that get, finally get to the point of like the pinnacle of their hobby and they cherish something so much they don't even enjoy it. It almost becomes like 
the closest thing that I have to that is 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 a uh, an all a low mileage original Mexican Beetle that I had, and I and I and I had it, and it was an O3, and it had like fifteen hundred kilometers since new, and I would sneak it out every now and again and just drive it, and it would kill me to put miles on it. And I talked to uh, my friend Burley Burlau, who's like a VW historian, and I talked to him, and he told me that he bought a brand new Mexican Beetle, so he'd be the guy to put every mile on it. I sold it after we talked about it and I had this conversation going with him. I thought, I'm going to buy that Mexican bug back and I'm going to drive it. Dang it. Like I'm going to put miles on the thing. Like there's other ones that people own that have low or no miles, especially with the Ultima edition that came out. But I thought who gets to drive a brand new Volkswagen and put all the miles on it themselves. You know, it's like you with the 50 who gets to have a 50 and just drive the crap out of it. You know, yeah, and it's it's the perfect one for that because it's not all shiny and fresh. And how many people have we seen that they restore a car, they make it perfect, and they hate it, and then they sell it, and and then the person who buys it didn't put their blood, sweat, and tears into to building it. They just wrote a check, and they have all kinds of fun with yeah. it. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely the. I mean, you know, it's it's the. The point of it is to have the experience and, uh, and and enjoy it. So I think it's so awesome that you do that. You put that kind of time and effort in it behind the wheel, especially because I mean that's the best part to not only have it, but it's like you know, listen, that's legend status. You know what I mean? Like the guy <laughs> owns a fifty and drives it everywhere, like because that's I mean that's it. Man. There's always a risk, right? Whenever you drive, what's the point if you're not enjoying it? Yeah, yeah, we got to have fun with them, and uh, I just, it, I don't want to own something if I can't drive it. Yeah, and I think you actually made it more expensive to work on now with the Porsche, the 356 brakes and the Porsche motor, and what was cool is when I met you, when I met you, with, we met at the Red Barn Swap Meet where we met, and you actually have the crank start uh the crank the, the the crank starter pulley on or the nut on the on the lower pulley and you're actually crank starting the 356 motor which i thought was pretty cool you actually let me do it uh you let me do it one time and i was pretty i was pretty impressed with how like you know pump it up that compression cycle turn the ignition on and it just fires right up you know that's that's another cool factor aspect of it right that it's got the 356 motor but yet you still have the crank start pulley on it you know yeah, and that was just a, a little custom thing we did. I mean, of course, buses were, uh, all the 36-horse and 25-horse buses were crank start to begin with, you know, stock. And that, uh, but I don't know if anybody else had done that with a 356, but we're like, you know, it's, it's a bus. Make it crank start. Right, right. So that brings up a question for me in, re in respect to crank starts. On the early, you're saying all, most of the buses from 52 to 54, you're saying, are crank starts? Uh, uh, the 36-horse buses all the way up through uh, mid-59, through most of 59, actually, were all crank start. But they still had a electric starter as well. Yeah. That's interesting that they would do a, uh, they would leave a crank start on there. I mean, what was what was the point for that if you had electric starter? Uh, I don't know. The The Germans are kind of weird. <laughs> oh, so just like a dual backup, maybe? Yeah. 
and maybe they're like the, this thing drives like a tractor so we should make it start like a tractor right right that's that's uh that's always that's always been interesting to me the the whole crank start apron because I've, I've owned a bus or two with a crank start apron i mean back in the day and uh I could never, uh, I, I, I never had the whole kit, the crank start and all that stuff, but I was fortunate enough to do that with yours. Now, with yours being a logo, is the logo that's on your bus the original logo? Yes, it, and it's actually the old, oldest known bus with original logos on it. Now, how old is the bus in the, in the VW factory? Don't they have an early bus in the factory? Uh, yeah, they have one that... Uh, it's supposed to be bus number 10. Really? Yeah. And uh, the, somebody I know was actually able to get in it, and they, they couldn't even find uh, the, a number on it. So, yeah. Uh, does that make it, you sus suspicious, or does it? Oh, uh, oh, or would you think of the early, the early first 10, they probably didn't number them? Um, it's... I'm not sure. I now I want to crawl over it and find out, but it it is from the very first run of them. It's it's absolutely way earlier than anything else existing. And they put out, I think, a few years back. I mean, it might have been twenty, thirty years ago. They put out like an ad looking for the oldest bust, and they were they were trying to for the museum. Did I see something like that? Is it or am I dreaming? Yeah, yeah. The in. The, the early 60s, they did that, and then they they found one, and they traded the guy uh, a brand new bus for it, and nobody knows what happened to the bus. Well, I, I wonder what happened to the brand new bus. I, I wonder what the collectible value would be of the brand new bus from the 60s that they traded the guy. Well, he, he probably just... Drove it into the ground. <laughs> well, but I mean, would that make that bus more collectible? Does VW have that VIN number tracked of what bus they traded for the earliest bus that they could find at the time? I wonder. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know on that. I know that they have the the number of that bus. I think it's it's in one of these books here. Uh I can actually look it up and, and the number of the bus that VW tried to purchase. Like, or, or are you talking the, about the number of the the bus they traded for it? Yeah, the the number of the bus that uh that they uh that they got the early one. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, because I would think I would think that'd be. I mean, the sixties would be a pretty good deal if you had an old busted out bus and you just decided to bring it to the dealership and swap it out for a new one. Yeah, well, at the time, it was just a worthless car, you know. But VW maybe knew to hold on to it for, I mean, just for their heritage in their museum. I wonder, you know, uh, where they found the next one from, you know, because you've got guys like Christian Grinman out there that they seem to have, like, they seem to find all the oldest Beatles, especially, you know. Yeah, well, and but then the, uh, the, the factory, it you know, it's a a company, and so the they'll do something like that for a promotion, and then they they use some advertising. They put it in the back of the the factory, and then twenty years later, uh, an entirely different group of people are working there, 
and they don't care about that. That was a promotion from 20 years ago, and that's just a beat-up old bus, and they, you know, scrap it out or whatever. So in the world of buses right now, what's been the most expensive bus that's sold thus far? I know everybody gets excited about the DNR restoration bus that went through Barrett-Jackson, and we can talk about why that one went so expensive, and it was probably time, people, and money that the reason why it went for what it went for because I don't think it was super scarce that I think it was like a 62 that sold for the 250,000 where everybody got super excited about. Um, but I know that there's buses that have sold for substantially more than that. And I know one of them is, uh, is I think it's the Hornbecker bus, which is the one that sold for quite a bit of money. Um, and I think, uh, Kevin Bradburn owns it now. Yeah. So I told Kevin when I met with him, I said they would be calling that bus the Bradburn bus if I if I bought that bus. I think you no. have the right to change the name when you buy it, you know. Well, and there there are people that that are trying to brand it as the the Steve Woods bus because uh, Steve Wood uh, was the person who bought it from the dealership, actually. On uh, yeah, and and then. Uh, he he sold it to Mike Hornbecker, uh, and then Hornbecker had it for quite a few years, and and so then it got branded as the Hornbecker bus. And, and, then, and what makes that bus so special is that it is the lowest mileage original deluxe that people um, know. Um, of. It's the the nicest early barn door deluxe out there, and. Uh, for for a long time, it was uh, the the only really nice uh, original barn door deluxe. There's actually another one uh, came up that's uh, also a low mileage, really nice bus, uh, but it's a fifty four, and uh, the that other one's a fifty two, uh, and has virtually all of the early features it, it doesn't have the white roof like a 51 but other than that it's it's pretty much the same now are there any are, are there are there any white roofs out there oh yeah yeah there, um there there are a couple restored ones and then several that are in restoration and then uh there aren't any that are like completely original paint there there is one that has an original paint roof because it's been stripped back to the original paint and so the hornbecker bus when hornbecker but now mike hornbecker that owned it was he a, he was a vw collector i'm assuming yeah yeah a, a big time collector and enthusiast um thinking it was the uh, late 80s uh, uh, I don't know uh, but I, I would guess he, he probably paid a lot you know probably 20 grand 25 grand something like that no, that's, just, a, no, just that's a good investment <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's uh uh, definitely uh, an order of magnitude larger than that now. Now, one of Mike Hornbecker, does it go to, that, that's where it goes to Bradburn, gets it from Hornbecker directly? 
No, uh, Mike Hornbecker sold it to Mac Jones. Uh, yes. And, uh, and then, uh, Mac, uh, sold it to, uh, Tim Nearhouse, and then, uh, he sold it, uh, to Gene Lang, and, and then Gene, uh, sold it to Kevin. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's, it, it's a unique bus. Um, it's definitely super nice. I've seen it. I've, I've been to, uh, Kevin's warehouse where he's got those buses, and he's got, he's got a few nice buses. Me personally, I like the uh, Smith. I think the Smith family bus is the one that's that's been restored, and I kind of like that one. It's just a little shinier. <laughs> I'm really, as you can tell, I'm super shallow and really superficial when it comes to driving my buses. But uh, I think it, I think it's 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 such a nice collection of buses, you know, and, uh, and and I think it's I think it's neat that enthusiasts that are really into them are able to pick them up and then you know take them out and show them and get them and get people to see them because. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I had seen the Hornbecker bus all those years that it was owned by Hornbecker. You know what I mean? Up until he owned it, and then when it goes from Hornbecker, is he on the East Coast or West Coast? Uh, he's on the West Coast. When it goes, then it goes to to Mac Jones, and he's in, you know, like Tennessee. Tennessee area, right? Then it goes to Connecticut. So this bus has traveled all across the country, probably three miles put on the thing on and off trailers. Well, so uh, when Steve Wood bought it, uh, it was in Oklahoma, I believe, and it, it was actually advertised in Hemings Motor News, and so he flew out to Oklahoma and then drove it up to Seattle. Uh, yeah. I mean, what was there? 18, there's 18,000 miles in that bus, I think it is, something like that? Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, and so he, you know, he put a couple thousand of those miles on. Oh, it. that's awesome. Uh, and uh, one of my first uh, uh, really exciting bus experiences in California was in the the mid nineties. Uh, uh, I went down to the the classic and uh, uh, the Soto show and stuff, and I went to a party uh, afterwards at uh, Charlie Hamill's place. And for years, when Mike Hornbecker had it, it was stored at Charlie Hamill's. And uh, Charlie would have parties after the VW Classic. And uh, so, and the bus was under a cover and stuff. And, uh, and then they'd peel the cover off. And Mike Hornbecker is there at the party. And, and I'm looking at the bus and he gave me the full tour of the bus. Really? Uh, showed me everything about it, everything that he had done with it. And, you know, like the, the chrome on the hubcaps. He's like, in 52, they didn't have very good chrome, so it always went bad. So I had to have these re-chromed and, and, uh, and just all these little things. And, uh, and he was telling me at the time, he's like, I... I want to sell it, but I'll only sell it to an established collector in the United States or Europe. Uh, and at the time, a lot of cars were going to Japan, and he said, it's a black hole. Those cars never come out. You know, they, they never get seen again. And, and he wanted it to be seen, 
And, and ironically, now uh, cars are coming out of Japan because buses have gone up so much in value that they can actually come back. But, have, but, have there been any buses that have come back, that you like rare buses that have come back to the States from Japan? Oh, yeah. Multiple barn door deluxes have come back from Japan. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and what's a barn door deluxe selling for? Let's say, like, you find a barn door deluxe restored. What would you say it's going to cost you for one of those? Um, They're in the quarter million range. For a barn door deluxe? Yeah. And what's so what do you think the total number of barn door deluxe is, is out today? Um... Oh, there's quite a few of them, maybe 90 or 100, just guessing. Uh, and that's, It doesn't seem like a lot, but that's a lot, I mean, I think. Yeah, and, and they get a lot of exposure because people take them to shows all the time. It's like you can't go to an Octo show without seeing multiple Barn Door Deluxes. Yeah, now, what is the oldest deluxe that's paint special paint? The oldest special paint deluxe that's out there that anybody knows of? Uh, there, there's a 51 uh, in uh, Germany uh, that actually I uh, got to check out in detail uh, uh, in 2019 when I was there got to sit in the driver's seat and, and look at the finer points of the curvature of the dash and and things that are earlier than any other Barndor Deluxe. It's like, this is, this is it. And what, yeah. co and what color was it? Uh, the bus, it's the, the uh, three-tone, you know, chestnut and ceiling with the white roof. Yeah, that's a, so the, that's a pretty rare bird. So, but I guess, would VW have any documentation of any special paint colors that were done, like the earliest one that's known to be out there, any special paint? Or like, you know, I mean, besides the post on the fire engine red? Um, I'm in the, there, I can't think of, what VW has sometimes they don't mention you'll they'll say on the birth certificate that the color isn't mentioned uh, and then also a lot of uh, early barn doors were delivered in primer also to be painted by the customer really yeah and that was an option all the way is, is that the on the M code plate the primer well I guess there's no M code plates then the M code plates don't arrive until uh, what year 56. It's early 59 model so year. previous to 59, there's no M code plates. Correct. However, the M codes are actually on the buses. Uh, yeah, they're, they, they stamp them on with ink on the, the partition panel. And if you sandblast it off just right, you can actually see the M codes. And they're also on the the valence behind the uh, at the bottom of the nose. You know, the if you take the the very front panel off, they're written in like grease pencil there. At least on some buses, and I've I've seen pictures of them. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's there's so there's so much, and we can go so deep into the into the bus world that I definitely want to have you back on here, and I want to. 
maybe we'll do a couple specials where we, where we drill down on a couple segments of buses where we just kind of go through some of these things because there's so much that we can that we can deep dive on this, you know, because like for me, because I'm more of a like just like a later model guy. Uh, what I really love is the slider door options that they were doing. Like I think it was '63. They started the slider door option. You could get it. Yeah, mid-1963 model year. And one of my favorite buses that I've seen in some of the books that I have is, I think there's a the double slider 21 window, I think it is. Yeah, there's more than one of them known to exist. But I just think that'd be such a cool option to have. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And I wonder if that, if the technology of the slider door on the split sliders is the same as the late model sliders. Or it's like if you've got a, an early split slider, like is all the door mechs and all that stuff unique to that specifically? The, they're not interchangeable. Uh, it's yeah, it's the same dynamics, but the the parts are not well, interchangeable. So you find a split slider with all the guts missing, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> I. Actually, on my last trip to Germany, uh, a friend of mine uh, uh, texted me that that he needed a, a slider door mechanism for a bus that he was working on. And I was at the Bad Camberg show, and uh, one of the sellers there had exactly what he needed, uh, new old stock. And uh, he, it was like he hit the lottery, you know. <laughs> so what do you pay for something like that? Uh, it wasn't bad. It was like, yeah, it was like 250 bucks for the mechanism. I mean, that's cheap. Just, I mean, the, the hardest thing, I guess, is just finding it, right? <laughs> yeah. But some things are, they're, they're rare, but the, the cars that need it are rare too. So uh, there's not a big market for it. You have to have a slider door bus with a broken mechanism. So what's the most unique thing that you've seen when you've gone to Bad Camberg and stuff like that, um, that that you've seen available that you thought you would never see, and then you or, or maybe you thought it was super rare, and then you found out they could just have tons of them. Um, well, the the first time I went there, I was just like blown away because like semaphores, they were like twenty dollars a piece, and this was in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, like, uh, just like you would see. Uh, like, you know, canned ham taillights on a swap spot at, uh, the, at Octo or something. There, there were semaphores. They were just everywhere. And I, I bought like five or six sets, but there was like so much cool stuff. And it's like, you know, I, I have a limited amount of money, so I'll spend, you know, a hundred bucks, 200 bucks buying semaphores. But then there there's just so much other stuff. Now these are just the semaphore lenses you're talking about. No, no, the 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 complete assembly. The whole semaphore assembly. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, and, and I was like, and I was like, it was great. You know, I brought them back to the states, and I'm selling them for 150 a piece. Yeah, <laughs> and you're thinking if you'd put those in a vault for a while, what's a set of semaphores go for today? Um, probably about the same. <laughs> I don't that much now. And the semaphores of the bus and the bus, the bus and the bug are interchangeable. Yeah, they were a production thing for Volkswagen. Exactly. Now, what year did semaphores 
stop on the buses or can you get later model buses with semaphores as an option like you know they have the european the european bugs that have semaphores and later big window bugs yeah just just like the bugs 1960 was the last year for semaphores in most of the world now why would they do semaphore why would somebody do semaphores if they already came out with, with regular flashing turn signals like what would cause it to be was it a standard option or what was the reason for having semaphores was it regional yeah, yeah, that was the standard thing. the the uh, The bullet turn signals were a U.S. spec thing that just a few countries, you know, United States, Canada, and maybe Italy too. Uh, uh, but most of the world was semaphore up through sixty. Oh, really? So they probably had bullet turn signal conversion kits to update your bus to a U.S. spec. Yeah, well, actually, in Germany, they just had to continually update them. So anything that was on the road in what once they came out with the new one, or maybe a couple of years in, like say in the early 60s, everything had to have the bullet turn signals. And then when they went to the, the canned ham taillights in 62, or a couple of years after that, all the German cars had to have those and so they just continually upgraded them and if you see any cart that was on the road in the mid 60s in germany it has mid 60s taillights oh that's great yeah because of their inspection process you've got to either update it or park the car exactly oh that's wild no that's uh look it's awesome man i've i, I definitely we can go on for a couple more hours but i'm uh i'm <laughs> I, I definitely appreciate you coming on. I, I dig your story. I'm, I'm stoked about the uh, the Sue Funk bus. Before we wrap up, what what other stuff do you got in your collection of cars? How many how many cars? Are you don't really want to talk about your collection stuff? Or are you? I mean, what is there in your collection that you have as far as your lineup of buses? Because we just talked and you said just recently for the the show up in Idaho, you finally have you have all these project buses and you were like, you just got a bunch of them running just to take it to that event. Yeah, so for the show last summer, uh, I I decided to to spend a couple months working on stuff and I got uh, nine buses, uh, nine split buses running for the show. Well, actually, most of, not most, like four of them ran before I started that project and then I made five other ones run uh, but I have uh, a couple more panel vans, uh, a couple 58 panels uh, I have a 57 Westy, a 57 Combi uh, a, a couple 61 standards, a couple 65 pickups Nice <laughs> That's well, a, and, well, and most of these now most of these have you gotten from collectors or most of these you, you've picked up behind a house or like the adventure of the finds and stuff like that all over the place uh like the when we were talking earlier uh the that mango bus that i bought in 1993 i still have that and still drive that bus oh really so that's like your your oldest owning bus that you've had for a long time yeah and, and it's my favorite car as well like uh, an old shoe you just get right in it and it fits, fits perfect <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just great. And then, you know, there's uh, just 
all over the place I find them. And I know quite a few people like uh, uh, the summer before last, a friend of mine uh, found a bus locally in a backyard for 500 bucks and and hooked me up with it. And and I get the thing uh, home and I start cleaning it up and it's uh, pretty cool bus and stuff. And I'm looking at the VIN number. It's like, this is really really familiar and then i go and i look at my 57 westy and it was exactly 20 buses newer than my 57 westy oh wow that's pretty that's pretty neat to get to i mean in 57 what, what year did they start importing buses to the u.s uh 1950 yes so they were you could buy them in the u.s in 50 yeah so i wonder how many of those early 50 buses the early 50 buses because I would think in the U.S. they'd trash them faster than they would in Europe. So I'm wondering if these origin buses, like your fi- your 50s, obviously from uh, from Germany, the other 50s so, that are so out there, how many are U.S. delivered 50s? The the earliest known existing U.S. spec bus is a January of 51 bus. Oh really? Uh, uh, yeah. So there are there are no 50s known, but uh, according to the the numbers they imported two of them in 1950. Oh, um, right. um, <laughs> you got a two in the two in a million chance to own one of those. So, no, that's yeah. I I tell you that's it's it's awesome what you're doing for the hobby. It's it's really awesome to to feel your enthusiasm for buses in particular. Now, is, is there any dirty secrets in there? Do you own any other Volkswagen besides buses, or are you just bus guy? Uh, yeah, I have a couple of Carmen Gias also. Uh, uh, yeah, I have a, a, a 57 and also a 61. Of course, I wouldn't expect you to have a 73, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I only count cars that I care about. I mean, there's there's other cars, too, that I have that I don't actually care about. But oh, I, I'm sure you have the same. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's... There's there's tons of there's tons of stuff out there, but I think the the the, the unique thing about Volkswagens, you know, like you and I are on two different ends of the spectrum, right? I'm into the the custom fast bus, and and and, but in the same respect, there's there's so much mutual appreciation for both sides of the hobby, and really, here's one shell of a vehicle that was sold as a station wagon in the United States, and it's like here's two guys talking about them like they're the coolest things since sliced bread. But I mean, I think it, it's got such a broad appeal and it was really marketed for, to women, I think in the early marketing in, in at least stateside, you know? So, yeah, yeah. There, there's, uh, uh, some great ads, uh, uh, actually, uh, trying to sell buses to women and, and the campers, the women love the campers. It's like a holiday home on wheels. Yeah. No. I, well, one one of the things that I would love to find, and it, it probably doesn't exist, but I think it's so cool, is I have a I've got a bunch of old Life magazine ads that I bought going to the swap meet since the '90s. You know, paying two bucks for them or whatever. But I have one that says the VW station wagon so big, the entire town of Jigs, Nevada fits inside this. I don't know if you've seen it, it's a red and white 21 window. And I and I looked up Jigs, Nevada, like middle of nowhere, Nevada, 
and it's like the entire town, the mayor, the this, and there's like 12 people in the town or something like that, and a dog, or eight people and a dog, something like that. And I keep thinking, man, I wonder if they actually gave that bus to somebody in Jigs, Nevada, and a guy could go to Jigs, Nevada and find that bus. You know, but I, it was, go ahead. Funny, funny you mention it, but a friend of mine, uh, Eric Carlson, tried to track it down, and he called up and uh, Jigs still exists uh and he was able to talk to somebody who remembered the boss uh and wasn't able to track it down but it uh it was a real thing and i think they gave it to the school district or something uh i'll have to ask him but he he he's able to get a little ways down the path of finding it right that's what i'm sitting here thinking i'm thinking like how cool would that be to find the Jigs Nevada bus, you know, that's just, it's just that, you know, the, the marketing campaign that they did with the buses was so unique. And uh, I mean, with all their cars, but it was, it, it's just so awesome to see all those, you know, all those really unique advertising. And they, they were like the first of their kind to do some of those, you know? Yeah. The, well, the, their advertising was, was like award-winning you know the most self-deprecating uh <laughs> advertising in the world you know almost like it was it was they would just make fun of themselves in such a like a humble way that uh it was it was endearing to make made you really think like you know what? I'm, a, I'm a humble guy i'll get a volkswagen i'm not pretentious yeah that's it i have <laughs> i have this i have the same jigs nevada at and uh, I just think it's I think it's so cool, man. Just some of those things that they did. Um, yeah. The, and, and, you know, you were we were talking about your bus being a logo bus. Now, you just came across you were we were talking earlier. You came across an entire uh, portfolio of a huge collection of Lego buses, logo buses. I mean, yeah, uh, just page after page after page of logo and now that it was that like a dealer display brochure of what you could do like different examples of what you could do yeah like a, a dealership would have this and then show it to uh uh prospective commercial customers and and, just pick your and, design we'll put your company name on there and we'll have it painted for you um or have a sign painter do it but the this is what other people have done and uh, I had a really interesting one. Uh, there was a um, somewhere of all kinds of literature here, but there's this uh, the owner's viewpoint, which is a piece of literature I got oh, 20 years ago or so. And I start thumbing through it, and I come to where there's uh, a bus from Boise, Idaho. Uh, it, a local one and it's got it was from Holsinger's music and a friend of mine from high school his last name was Holsinger and so I talked to him and as it turns out his grandfather uh was the original owner he's seen in the pictures there and the the family hadn't seen the bus since the 60s and now I gotta ask this question were you like good friends with this guy? You're like, wait a second, whole singer. I'm putting the piece together. I'm gonna call this guy random. Have him over like a crazy man. It's like, hey, long time no see. Haven't talked to you since high school. Got a question. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, hey, uh, kind of maybe want to rekindle this relationship, but it d- depends on the answer to this next question. <laughs> Does Grandpa still have the bus? <laughs> yeah. And then it oh it gets crazier though. Uh, I like I keep researching. I actually come up with a color picture of the bus. A friend of mine finds a color picture of oh, it. Oh really? And, and yeah. And so and but I've like completely given up on finding it. I I look for at every fifty eight panel in town to see if it if it could be you know because the, the bus I knew had been painted red. Right. You know. You know and and logo nothing lines up you know uh it and the i mean there are five or six buses 58 panels around town that that i looked at none of them were were it and then uh, about six years ago uh, i was down in reno uh visiting my friend mitch case and uh in his backyard uh we walk out and look because he's got a bunch of buses in his backyard and instantly recognized there it was. And I was like, yeah. And I mean, the, within a fraction of a second of when I saw it, I was like, I must have this. And, oh, wow. Which is like, okay. Are you, and what year was that bus? It's a 58. Does it still have the logos on it? Oh, yeah. Did it really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, how, 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 how ironic is that, that you're there, you stumble across the picture of this bus, and then you go on this crazy hunt for this bus, and you just, it's a lost cause at this point, and then, like, you just stumble across it, and another bus collector owns it, you know? That's just, that's just incredible, man. That's, uh, but that's, you know, that's how hardcore your passion goes, right? Like, it's just, it's in the back of your memory, and just, you're, you're waiting for the time to, to run across it. So, how complete was it? Um, it, it was missing, uh, one of its doors, and then every other part was missing. It, I mean, it had out of the buses have five doors. It had four of them, and every other part was missing. I mean, the front end was not the original front end. Uh, uh, yeah, just it had lived a hard life. Not really rusty, but uh, it battered, it, battered, and and bruised. Yeah. Yeah, like all four wheel wells were cut. Uh but it's a panel van and panel vans don't have many parts. So Man, I I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Anything before we wrap up, any any special thanks you want to give any people or shout outs to people that uh have helped you along the way with your with your obsession that, that you might want. I mean it's probably an endless list, but uh you know. Oh, there's so many people. Uh, <laughs> um, my my friend Chris Brooks was my first VW friend who really, you know, uh, uh, showed me kind of the way to to start and and go. Uh, and then uh, uh, my friend Isaac Scott uh, was uh, uh, the early on we were hunting VWs together, uh, and, uh, my, my friend, uh, Louie Conkle, uh, and we started the, the local VW club here together, and then, uh, Troy Wheeler, uh, another great local guy, although he moved to 
Texas, but oh, <laughs> the Troy is because that's how we connected. Because I've I've known of you for a while, and then Troy and I. I remember first time I met Troy was at uh, was at the first VW Classic when I was debuting my bus, and he was just busting my chops, man, the whole time. He was razzing <laughs> the whole time, and he and the best part is he didn't even know me, and he was really busting my chops. I said, I like this guy. Like as soon as he tried to rip me, I started giving it right back to him. And it was funny. We had a, a short encounter, but every couple of years we'd see each other to show and just say, hey, what's up, buddy? How you been? Whatever, back and forth, and then just carry on with everything, you know. But it's it's interesting how the, the hobby brings people together like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just a, a real quick uh, Troy Miller story. So uh, his 52 boss, uh, his, his barn door, uh, he uh, uh, calls me up. And he's like, hey, I'm going to go buy this. 52 in new mexico you want to uh come down with me and, and drive it back and this, this is like you know pre 9 11 it's like oh yeah great we like load up i load load a duffel bag full of tools a, a daily driving oval at the time and so i like 36 horse i take the the carburetor the distributor and the fuel pump off <laughs> throw them in the bag we take it carry on on the airplane <laughs> and and uh drive that thing back with the 36 horse and at one point we're driving back we're going downhill into a headwind and i can't keep it in fourth gear no it's like there isn't enough power to, to, i'm having to downshift going downhill <laughs> because there was a headwind it was that slow but we made it home Listen, and, and that's really what it's about because the cars, I think, the cars give us a purpose to take these ridiculous adventures that we'd never do. I mean, I, I've done stuff where I've, draw, I've driven 12 hours straight with a buddy, pick something up, and just turn right back around because it was between work hours and what I got to do to go get this thing, but it was such a good deal or whatever the case was. And it's just, it's just the road trip aspect of it, the traveling part of it. I mean, there's just... There's so much to be had, man. It's just, it's just, I'm, I'm thankful for the hobby. It's the reason why I do the podcast because I love it, man. I love the hobby. I love the people. And I love all the stories connected to it, man. Absolutely. I love the cars. I like the people more. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Well, Lynn, I appreciate you, man, for coming on. And this will not be the only time we have you on for sure. We're going to come up with some nonsense bus stuff to go over. And it's not nonsense, but, but I really want to, I, I, and, and, in the past, we've done podcasts. We've really started dissecting stuff and getting into some details. Um, you know, people really give me a lot of feedback on that stuff because they really enjoy those types of educational podcasts. So I'm, I'm, I'm committing to you that we will definitely do some more in the future because there's, like I said, we've been on for two hours now, man, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's there's a there's a lot to go over here. So, man, I, I appreciate you coming on. We're just getting started. I I look forward to it, and I, it was great talking with you about BWs. Oh, man, I love it, man. I de definitely appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure you share it with your friends. Click on the link below to send it to your friends so that they can enjoy some good VW talk. And if you can, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you want to support the podcast, go to letstalkdubs.com and pick up some merch in the store on my website. Until next week, guys. Later.
station where can I have a 